Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with Lee Button and me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic topics of church life. Each week we'll be tackling a different subject of church life and we'll be joined by some special guests along the way. So if you like this podcast, why not give us a like, give us a rating and give us a review as well. So without further ado, get your thinking caps on and let's get on with this week's episode. And indeed, we are recording. Um, and uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in the bright oh, no, not Chris. Have you, have you, seriously? I, I have put up the Christmas decks. Um, and this is pe- terrible for podcasting, but look, the Christmas tree is up. One Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas and November. Look, second Christmas tree is up with fairy lights around the kind of the entrance area of the uh, of the kids' room. So that's good. I, I, frankly, I am disappointed. Are you are you um, a bit of a, a Scrooge when it comes to? Christmas? I think I think we've touched on this before on the podcast, and uh, yes, I am much more in the uh, miser territory when it comes to uh, decorating for Christmas. Uh, for f- firstly, though, Chris, it is November, so let's just put it out there. Actually, who knows when where will this podcast go out? This is going to go out in December now, and it's going to make me look twice. As no, bad. no, it will go out in November. We are. Um, we're running out of uh, podcasts in our uh, in our podcast storage, so we're um, ones that have been sort of left in the uh, the, the refrigerator have uh, have all been used now. So we <laughs> we are now at a point of you we're recording and uploading. So yeah, this will be going out uh, very. Uh, this will be going out at the end of November. So um, yes. And at the moment, it is near the end of November. So, you know, this is, it's, it's fresh, it's live, it's, it's you know, it's, it's good. It's not live, but it's, it's fresh. It's very close to recording date. Um, what I think, though, Lee, is with your Scrooge mentality to Christmas, I think that you need to do, I think you need to change, change. Look, right, to, 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 can, I, can, can we do thinking confessions? Thinking uh, confessions, yeah, I like that. Uh, actually you know what new podcast slot thinking confessions um look like genuinely uh i i was so irritated by uh, a person a friend <laughs> put their christmas decorations up on literally the first of november that um that on on social media i unfriended them <laughs> because i <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't take it, Chris. No, right now, no, but keep it in perspective before we uh, before we also do thinking complaints. Um, is uh, I am I am all set, and we have lots of family things set, uh, but we are very much starting at the beginning of December, and I am all for Christmas. <laughs> it's just the it's premature decorating. I think it, it yeah. is 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 my is my actual deep felt issue. Maybe maybe this goes back as far as something in my childhood. God, if I'm going to upset listeners and friends, let's also now upset my family and drag them into all of this. Uh, but yeah, Lee is a Grinch because uh, he didn't have any Christmas decorations as a child. Uh, is, that, is that it? Mm. No, I don't know. And how, but, how, did, look, how did that make you feel? 
Yeah. <laughs> Thinking counselling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's just keep going, Chris. Let's just keep going. Well, no, I'm... We're, we're, we're all set. I'll tell you what I have bought, though, because uh, my kids don't listen to the podcast. Uh, I mean, to be fair, they're six and three. Why should they? Um, I, I I have bought, uh, because I'm, I am also a Lego fan, I think, you know, as we've probably mentioned before, yes. um, I, have, I have bought the uh, Christmas Lego kit uh, of uh, an elf house, like an elf Santa's workshop kind of house uh, that we will build over the course of um, Christmas for a week or so um building that as one of the key decorations which i'm very much looking forward to well that's that's but excellent you see, you see it's it's about building tradition it's about finding things it's just premature decorating um as much of an issue with shops that play christmas music although that irritates me more because it's just the same few songs um well i, th- I think what we'll, what we'll do is we'll, we'll move on i hope that you won't unfriend me on facebook <laughs> is that is that because you can see you can see the vein pulsing in my forehead? Yes, and the, I, I hole, can. and the hole that I'm digging for myself. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm here to pull you out um, because you are speaking with someone who has his Christmas decorations up already, and whose uh, whose wife enjoys watching uh, the Hallmark Christmas movies on Channel Five, and uh, so that's the kind of house that I live in. Uh, so I think on that, let's move on. And um, today we're going to talk about change thinking change we were were wanting to call it and um and we've only got a short amount of time so we're going to keep this relatively brief today this this podcast but Lee, let's start talking about uh, mistakes that we make when we're looking to implement change as a church what are the things that we are you seeing people get wrong things that are common mistakes uh Look, usual suspects, uh, poor communication, not conveying why, people having lack of clarity around the change that's happening, dictating it and not including people in the change for which then you expect them to be working it out or living with it, Uh, doing it too fast, doing it too slow, and Look, it's it's the it's the common culprits. It's the things that destabilize uh, people when you bring in a level of uncertainty. When things have that level of being unknown, and it just causes a certain level of uh, of, of chaos. I think the thing is, is that actually we we think that people are like against change when something happens, but really they're having a real response to it and their response is valid that you know they're not having you know we we tend to think of it like as if it's like negative but actually people's responses are are real at that at that point we have to acknowledge that that most people are coming with actual concerns it's it's something is now different for them um and let's face it we don't like having things being done to us um so I think, yeah, the lack of communication, making sure that we've wrapped up good uh, uh, reasons and levels of consultation, that we've involved people in the process, they're the things that we should be doing. That's how we can how we can make it happen. But look, change too fast, change too slow, 
their biggies, change that drags on and on and on, like the Christmas decorations in a prematurely decorated house. <laughs> yes. The other one I'd say is uh, not making big enough change. So it's almost unrecognizable kind of incrementalism change. Um, and in one sense, <laughs> like, like glacial, a glacial level change. Yes. This is proper boiling the frog territory, um, but also without making too, too light of serious matters. Look, small things over a long period of time have quite a large compound effect, whether that's in terms of, you know, Places where that's good, savings and pensions and stuff like that, where you want things to inflate. But places where it's bad, like climate and uh, kind of like working with people, where it's look, you don't want to be doing that. It, it's that that level of change by attrition, as if you're just going to the change will outlast you. Uh, you know, we're going to endure this long enough that you won't be able to complain if you don't notice it happening. Perfect. A quote that I heard from uh, Dan Ryland, uh, the legendary Dan Ryland, who's the executive pastor at Twelve Stone. Twelve Stone, we're, we're friends with uh, with them. They're a church over in Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And Dan Ryland said this on a, uh, a blog recently that if uh, if you make a change and no one gets mad, then the change wasn't big enough in the first place. And I really like that. I think that a, a mistake that you can make is by not making change big enough. If if no one's getting mad, I think that's a decent sign that you're not making a change that really matters. And it's just something that don't, people don't really care about. And I think meaningful change has got to be something people care about. And then they, you, you go through that sense of loss and you go through that, you know, the, the classic um, signs of uh of grief you go through you know the uh the bargaining and the uh the anger and all those stages and i think that it's true yeah i think yeah i mean i think uh let let's put this uh contextually as well i actually haven't read that article and although i kind of agree with the the statement that you know a change has got to be big enough that people know that change is happening so that there can be response and I think, you know, but the fact that somebody might get angry or mad at it, um, I'd say as long as as long as then they don't stay there. Like, actually, I think you need you need. I like the idea that people have a real a real response to what's going on. Mm. Um, but what, what I would hope is, is that you also don't want those kind of change where it's like now you've got splits and division as a result. Yeah. Actually, I think. I would say, you know, you want to be making change big enough that it leads to a means for engagement with people as to why that's happening. And I think you've really got to bring it back to be grounded in something because people's responses are legitimate. Let's not sweep it under the carpet as if if a change happens and somebody is now annoyed that they're not with us. No, they 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 need more information. They need they need talking uh, with about what's happening. They need to be uh, they need to understand. Sometimes people get mad about changes that have literally got nothing to do with them. They're almost mad on behalf, you know, you know, I'm annoyed yeah. by proxy. 
And it's like, that's that's probably not healthy, but actually, you know what? That's raising something else with that individual that, look, that's an opportunity. That That is still an opportunity rather than a challenge. So I think be, be mindful, like, yeah, do something that, you know, and we're, we're talking about things bigger than, actually, maybe we're not, but things like, you know, the colour of the walls or, you know, the, the, the carpets and the curtains. To be fair, I once upon a time have worked for the church. There was essentially a church split over somebody changing the curtains. And it's like, actually, you know, if changes like that can derail the, the purpose of what you're about, then you've, you've got other changes to make. Um, so... And I think what what Dan was meaning by that and what he wasn't meaning was that it's an excuse for bad communication or an excuse for bad planning. That's not what he means at all. And I think there's definitely levels to how that kind of change works. There are different levels as a church grows and matures where, you know, to begin with, it will be, you know, the big thing will be something to do with like, you know, changing the chairs or changing the wall colouring. And then as you move on, it's more about the the mission and those kind of things that if you start to change those things or specific strategies, um, then they will co- cause a, um, a a bit of an uproar or, you know, maybe staffing changes or things like that that can be, you know, mean quite a lot to people's lives. Um, oh, yeah. They, Change, they can changes be necessary. in leadership. Yeah. yeah. Changes in leadership is a big one. I mean, this is what... So for those listening, look, Chris and I have worked with plenty of churches and plenty of organizations and been employed in places over time transitioning leadership is a is a change process in its own right that really deserves time attention great planning and great facilitation and i'm not saying that just because we are the kind of people that can come and help facilitate those kind of conversations or those processes but chris You've worked with a church, uh, a church recently that was that was changing a senior leader. Uh, one guy outgoing, retiring, and a new guy incoming, um, and that transition was it was really good. But the level of planning and process that went into that over what over a twelve month period plus, like yeah, I mean, they'd yeah. been doing stuff yeah. before you were even brought in. Look, those those things deserve the level of input and time and attention to make sure that you address all of those things. Again, because you don't want to destabilize ultimately the the mission of what you're about. There's what people signed up to and who was leading it. And they're very, very, you know, they're taken, it's, it's, church is very personal on that note. So a lot of changes felt personally. Um, That's, and you know, that, that's, that's where we have to look. It's still people, it's still behaviors, but, Look, that's how people take it, and we we need to need to be kind. Yeah, I, so I wonder if we should answer this question about whether change is always a good thing. I hear a lot of people always throw out, throw out this sentence, which is, "We don't want to just do change for change's sake." And I I, I understand that to an to a certain extent, yeah. but I think the need for continually refreshing and bringing something new to the life of the church means that sometimes you change for change's sake is actually probably something necessary the need to disrupt the status quo so that change becomes normality otherwise if you get into that it ain't broke don't fix it mentality and then suddenly nothing becomes broke and you never change anything to fix something so i think that there's then you then you become the church that's saying but it's always been this way 
which is literally the final nail in the coffin. Like, you know, that at that point, it's almost too late to start thinking about the change. Once you can change that sentence and say, but it's always been done this way, that's like, like that, that's like finishing, a finishing statement. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you totally. Also, though, some people say, uh, you know, change for change's sake, just as they are about to make a change that they want to implement and get away with, with little pushback. So it's, I think, you know, there's, all of these things are kind of a double-edged in terms of how we plan them and process them. But this is really our, where we come from on this. What, what are your principles? Like, if change and this, I am daily in some level of renewal, is actually, how are you embedding this as, as, as a practice, as a distinctive of us as people, never mind the organizations and the church setups that we are we are in. Actually, if I'm thinking about renewal, about daily being before God, having things reflected back to me in a level of discipleship that I am maturing. So as well as growing and aging and natural change processes that are going on, my personal development and what you know, there's things I reckon 10 years ago, never mind 20 years ago, sometimes even as near a field as last week, that this week I think differently about. But that's because there's I've I've worked that in that in, in that way. So I think as an organization, as a church, we put that in place, that there isn't change for change's sake if it's actually something that we've got everybody on board with before we even begin that things things change and it's our response to it that matters yeah i absolutely love that i love that and uh, i think that i think people that are going to be listening to this podcast pastors listening to this podcast church leaders they're probably already thinking about some kind of change so i think that in one sense that that barrier of should we change is actually one of those things that uh, most churches recognize there is a need for change. There are, there are a few exceptions where churches get stuck into some kind of rut and they think yeah. that actually what they're doing is completely correct and they need to not change a thing. But I actually think the majority of churches understand that they're not where they want to be. They, they're not where they need to be and that there's a mission that requires some kind of change to, to get there. So... Yeah let's have a look at some of the kind of the methodologies of change and, and think, okay, let's have a look at the, there are different ways of changing because it, there's not just one way to change. That's the exact right way. Yeah. And just, just as we, as we bridge in between these, these two elements, look, I, I, I was actually on some training recently about uh, looking at alignment in organizations and assessing alignment and looking at these kind of things two things that came came up and i'm going to use these as quotes from it are that when change happens uh if we if we have uncertainty that's what makes us uncomfortable and when our brains pick up that something has changed but we don't know why we tend to make up the explanation we create an assumption or a story that we use instead so it's like you know with the leadership transition a leader's changing <gasps> he's you know that person's leaving because you know, and I don't know why, brain jumps and says, you know, because they've had enough, they're burning out, or, you know, we make up uh, stories to use instead, like, you know, moving on, and 
there's all sorts of things that we put in its place, which is why communication is key. The next thing is, is that actually the flip side when we put in change and it's not communicated well, is that's what can create conflict. And a lot of conflict occurs because of the stories then and the assumptions that we've made that are essentially made up and it actually becomes a bias, uh, our actions, and we act against something that's not true. So this, this is why change is 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 important and understanding the patterns of change, which is why as we, as we look at like some models, and Chris, I'll let you you know expand on these. That's why these next pieces are are key in helping do this well. I really like that. I think how people think about, you know, people are filling in the gaps all the mm. time. And and I think that it is our responsibility as leaders in, in churches to uh, to create that level of certainty so that there's confidence, even if there's uncomfortability with how the future might pan out, there is confidence that things have been thought through and, and communicated as well. I really, I really like that because I think that creates that level of trust yeah, and even more so now. So, you know, to, to, to one degree, this is going to impact churches because we are in a period of enforced change. COVID came and we've stopped physically meeting and we're doing a lot more online meeting. Just as we were preparing a way back to physically meeting, we went into more enforced not meeting. So, you know, we, we people are capable of going with those kind of enforced changes for a period of time. But here's the thing, in, in organisations, and it might, it might mean more in kind of like a, in the more structured like workplace organisation as opposed to like church, but when change is happening, there's um, been some work done on this by... Um, by a team, uh, uh, Granny and Maxfield, I think are the guys that um, did this did this work. Look, when things go virtual, and this is talking mostly about teammates, but they are like two to three times more likely to perceive mistrust when things go virtual, okay? But also about five to 10 times longer to address concerns. Now, I think that as we look at change, we might be having to process change while we're doing stuff in a virtual way, even as church. And it's worth bearing in mind that actually it takes longer to address concerns in that time and people perceive mistrust and, you know, broken commitment or bad decisions two to three times more likely when things are virtual. So like hold that in mind as we're in an enforced period of being in this, you know, this lockdown situation, which drives us to a virtual way of operating. Look, let's 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 be mindful of actual real work that's done out there on how that impacts these kind of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. OK, let's get into some of the methodologies of change. The first one. Uh, we're going to look at is uh, Cotter's uh, 
methodology, which is in his book, Leading Change. Uh, and uh, Lee, have you used this one? I've, I've certainly used this one in the past. Uh, yeah, it's look, it's a popular one. I mean, it's from a book called Leading Change. It's one of those that, you know, a lot of people would have read. Um, Chris, t- tell me, tell me about your experience, though, of, 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 of doing this. What, how, how's this? How's this been? Yeah, um, so I, I've used this before. Um, so there's a number of steps for the leading change process, which is, uh, so firstly, it's establish a sense of urgency, then creates a guiding coalition to get the team that's going to you know, manage that change and lead that change. Develop a, a clear shared vision is step number three. Then four is communicate that vision. Then five, empower people to act on the vision. Uh, number six is create some kind of short-term wins. Seven is consolidate and build on the gains. And then the last time, the last one, step nine is institutionalize the change. Um, so having used this, I, I find it really clear because I think it, it makes sense. I think that first point is you've got to have some kind of urgency for change. And I think that that building that sense of, okay, we must change and especially within a leadership team, but also I think in when you're communicating that to in a church context, I think you uh, church leaders need to say actually where we are isn't where we need isn't where uh, we need to be. We need to be somewhere different. And actually, unless we change, we will just start to stagnate and we'll start to um, will not move towards what God's got for us. So I think that sen- establishing that sense of urgency, I think Costa's absolutely right. It all starts there. Uh, the creating the guiding coalition, that makes sense. I think it's just having a team. You co-create with that team. Uh, but then the the big work comes in developing a clear share, a clear shared vision. Get that right? A clear shared vision. And that's the work that takes the time. It's the work that we come in and do facilitation on. Uh, and, and I think often what can happen is that that this is the bit that can get, you can get bogged down in because this bit can take a long time unless you have some deadlines that you're working to, uh, otherwise you'll just, you can just keep staying in that developing a clear shared vision, but you never get to the next stage, which is communicating that vision. Um, and then the rest of it is to do with implementation of that um uh, what i found using it is that beyond when you start to go empower short-term wins consolidate and institutionalize they all blur together pretty quick um and uh in cotter's book he says you must kind of you finish stage one then you go on to stage two and then when you finish stage two then you go on to stage three but i think we all know that life doesn't really work like that it only only works like that in a vacuum and i've definitely found using this it just you end up jumping between the levels i think they're really helpful and they make a lot of sense but to think that you're going to go through it step by step is is unrealistic I think there's, there's there's a piece there with something like leading change, as, as you talked about uh, the, the book uh, Cotter. Look, you've um, that's somebody who's come up with some steps, and actually it, it it made a nice format. And as a general process, yes, like you said, you can stick to it. But there's also like the scale. Like when I sit down in my home and we want to paint, there's 
you know, the two of us or just the, the, the family, even if we extend it and, you know, involve, you know, say our children in those kind of decisions where you go, like, that's very easy and you can you can work with everybody. Then there's other times when you're doing that and maybe you've got hundreds of people and you can't consult everybody on what it wants to be. And that's why I think, like, yeah, your little, you know, the, the, the team who we're going to, to guide this and, and work with as well. So I think there is a scale thing. So even for, uh, for my own church, uh, Thrive, we, we were in a process of change a few years ago and we're sitting around the 120, 130 people mark at the time. And actually, the change that we were going through, we made a conscious decision to engage the whole church through the whole process. Now, prior to that, I've been in a church that's hit more like the six, seven hundred. And actually, that was not a reasonable expectation. You can you obviously have to communicate with everybody and you start having to disseminate it maybe through like connect groups, home groups, those kind of like methods and uh, through teams and other ways of, of, of working with people. But actually, I think you, ha- you have to think about this by scale as well so that you know what it's applicable and the size of the decision. Now, some places I've seen there's a, there's a phenomenon that's known uh, when it comes to implementing these kind of things called bike shedding which the, you know, the folklore of this goes is that a team got together and they had a certain amount of time to make a decision on something um, about the build of a nuclear power station. And uh, there was a couple of things on the agenda. One of them was about a storage unit outside about a bike shed. And it got about 40 minutes of time because everybody in that room had an opinion on the bike shed and the colour and the placement, the location, the cover and how it operated and how it ran because everybody understood a bike and a shed. But when it came to some of the elements that they were passing through regarding the more serious like technical and feasibility aspect, it was given less time and it was passed through really, really quickly, almost without any 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 thought and it also drew a lot less conversation. So just be aware of where things like that creep in when you're implementing stuff that if you talk about the walls and you talk about the chairs and we joke about this, but they can be sticking points for churches. They're the kind of ch- changes that are like bike shedding. Everyone has an opinion. And then there's other stuff that will just fly through and nobody actually really bats an eyelid at, even though it carries a lot more consequence and is a lot more serious. So, you know, you've got to be mindful of how that whole thing weighs up when you're using a more formal process, like Cotter is saying, like, is it appropriate for the scale and the size you're operating at? Or are you are you giving too much attention to something that's also very very small, and uh, and kind of like gauging how you sit with it? Let's look at the other end of the spectrum from Cotter. If Cotter is a much more process-driven one, uh, agile at the other end is something that we use a lot in church work, in church land, but we don't really know what agile means. Uh, but we like the thought of agile because agile sounds uh, fun and uh, innovative. Yeah, Lee, can you explain well, just what agile is? 
agile as well though is more it's a philosophy it's a manifesto of doing something and it, it came predominantly out of um software engineering um it was kind of like from that kind of environment so that <clears throat> we're talking about high cost high consequence projects but it was more um a way of thinking and a way of approaching how you would develop and build and do stuff okay so within that the agile has kind of like got a, a use, you know, lowercase as in like, you know, let's be nimble. And then it's got agile uppercase as in this kind of like methodology philosophy of doing stuff as well. And I think the two get used interchangeably because we've borrowed something from a more commercial business world and brought it into where we talk. And I don't know if anybody's ever even doing this in the kind of like its purest sense. And it Essentially, it boils down to, and you've kind of got underneath that kind of like scrum, Kanban and ways of, 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 of seeing projects through. But the idea is to kind of like quickly spin them up, plan out short sprints, do something. And at the end of that period, see how it's performing and, you know, keep what works, get rid of what doesn't and change and go again. So it's good for kind of very iterative ways of doing things. So in a church context, you know, if you're starting up small groups, if you're starting up a new ministry thing, it's probably a great way to approach it. Guys, you know, speaking to your whole team, everybody here, right, what are we going to do? We're, we're going to do this today. We're going to see how it goes. And then next week, we're going to review it. And then we're going to, and if it doesn't, we're going to, you know, what, what works, what doesn't work, what do we keep? You know, very, very easy way to assess something would be closer to the, the an, an agile way of working. I know there's probably agile purists that are listening that are thinking I've just butchered that. But in a, in, in a nutshell, it's kind of a more iterative process. Um, that, that and I think that's what it means. That's why I think it fits a lot of churches, especially if you want to embrace this as a principle, a way, and that's it, you know, as a way of doing change. This is probably very useful for most uh, uh, a certain size as well, because it allows you to be very nimble and don't hold things forever. And, you know, churches, you know, we love to flog a dead horse rather than actually stop a ministry so it, it's actually good if you want to you know quickly evaluate see what's working change what isn't um, but if you build that in it actually becomes quite cultural in how you're approaching something and everyone's like going oh, no 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 we are, we're regularly reviewing and seeing what needs to change and adapt so we don't get left behind um and that that's where agile really fits in so it's, it's very nimble I'm thinking of it more in a lowercase sense than the, the, the pure technological sense of how this might be, you know, for the, the project managers who might be listening. But, you know, as, as to embrace it as something at the opposite scale to Cotter, it's about the speed with which you do something and the iterative nature with, with how you implement I What I like about, um, so on, on Cotter, it's, it's very helpful when you've got that vision, sense of where you know you want to go. And I think agile is really helpful when you're not really sure where you want to go. I think somewhere like something like small groups is a really great example because every church tries to do small groups a certain way. It inevitably does not work. And then they try something else and it inevitably doesn't work. And, you know, or it works for a while, stops working and then, and then you, you try again. And actually I think uh, going down a more agile route on a small group strategy is actually really helpful because then what you're saying is if a group fails, 
that's still success because it's teaching us we can we yeah. can we'll do a, we'll we'll launch something for six weeks or whatever we'll we'll look at it after that we'll review and we'll change what we need to change and it will just stay fluid and it's not about having a set way of doing it this is now the way it's actually saying we're going to change and move and if that group doesn't work then we'll change that group and it, and we'll reform it like this and rather than trying to flog the dead horse as you said and i so i i, I think that they they sit in two different spheres about often if you don't know where you want to go with something or uh, then I think that that agile route is pretty good. Yeah, and no, absolutely. I think and that that is by by scale of what you're doing. It's like you probably don't want like an agile implementation of a leadership transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. That's not that's not going to work. I mean, if, but you know, we've also seen churches often. You get things like this happen with like like a youth pastor that there's that it seems to be that they 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 change quickly um and it, but it, it's destabilizing so that's not the time to do it but setting out clear vision clear aim rationale and then or, but you know that 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 borders then on how do you assess how well you are doing against those criteria and you know the monitoring evaluation and aspect of, of, how, of how you've done it but look when we all went under enforced change and stopped meeting physically and went to meeting virtually every week was an experiment. We found out very quickly that notices are as boring online as they are in person and that you can't have that as the, you know, the thing that checks the rhythm of your digital strategy um, as you do out online. So we were rapidly prototyping, testing, listening to feedback and changing as we went. And like maybe now we're finding our way and there's some proven methods to do it. And if we now started another ministry or project that was going to use online methods we've now got some proven online methods and now we're going to tie it to a vision but we're going to implement in one direction in a bit more you know structured so i think yeah know know the kind of change that you're about to implement if you're unsure what kind of change you're about to implement come and talk to us and we'll just like help you sound it out and test it and um, help you maybe get some clarity on what you're thinking about um, you know, that's the reason why we offer free calls. It's the reason why um, we do stuff by the hour as well. So if you need, you know, if you want any of that support while you're thinking this through, but also just the learnings and experiences we've had of, of, of how we can talk to it. But look, there's, everybody will have a way to implement and do change. Um, there's, you know, it doesn't doesn't stop at two methodologies. There's There's, there's dozens, okay. I think the thing is, is, picking something that's appropriate, being consistent. But it still all comes down to communication. Are you communicating well? Are, are, you, are you telling people why this is happening? Do they understand? Are you removing the uh, are you removing that ability for people to kind of like make assumptions and make up stories as to why it's happening by them actually knowing very clearly in a repeatable way why the change is happening? That's that's what it comes down to. I think nearly all these things are down to communication at the end of the day. I think I would definitely recommend a book for uh, thinking about communication would be Illuminate by Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez. Uh, 100%. Just, yeah, a fantastic book. I don't think it's it's not one that you can get on Audible if you're an Audible listener because it's very visual <laughs> it's a graphic book <laughs> yes it's a graphic book so it's basically pictures the whole whole way through and case studies 
but I really recommend that one. You can pick it up on on your re- your internet retailer or your wherever good books are sold. I think that's probably the best way to say. Um, uh, yes, yeah. and, and, worth- and to that note, it's not a difficult book to read in that sense either. I and very much a, a a resource. So I constantly go back to that. I have it in my in my bag, my work bag, and I have it as a a a, a go to manual of communication because it's just so good. Uh, so definitely would recommend uh, that to all our listeners for sure. Uh, Absolutely, Lee. Let's just finish with with this, which is uh, what are the things that we can do to kind of make change a bit more of our normality. So rather than just change being a project that's done and then it's over and then you stop changing, what can we do to make change part of the fabric? of of our church help help people understand what changing does for us and what it does in us when people understand the personal aspect and getting people used to you know change we can't control and change we can't control things that are done you know to us you know things happen externally that we've got no say over and it's like we've said you know enforce changes like we need to be honest and communicate well and give the stories of of those changes and the times when you know something happened and it maybe didn't go as we wanted it to but what we learned so actually it's not that it failed it's that we learned and then you've got the others the way it's like and then when it succeeded we also learned so I think it's we've got to elevate it as uh, we've got to make it part of the conversation at all at all stages. You know, when when we've finished when we've finished talking, we talk about the messages that we we say from you know from the pulpit uh, about being actionable. Get feedback from people as to what they did off the back of that that then changed as a result. Like when you committed to prayer, when you committed to this within your relationships, when you committed to doing this in the workplace, when you committed to doing this as a parent, what changed for you? What did you learn along the way? Like we all love a bit of good at, you know, outcome bias when it succeeded first time, but that's not really how most things happen. We all learn by things falling apart a little bit along the way. Share the stories when it didn't go so well as well. And then you will normalise uh, change as being messy rather than having to be right first time because it probably won't be you know and actually sometimes you are feeling your way so to normalize it make sure people are feeding back on it and sharing openly and honestly that comes down to the discipleship it comes down to uh, listening to one another it's about growing and actually the the, the growth is a result of again health you know we go for health first but this is it's all on that it's all on that on that way of doing it normalizing it is talking about it is sharing the stories and making sure that we've got good feedback mechanisms and actually start with the little stuff hey 
Who's seen a difference this week when you prayed every day? Who's seen a difference this week when you, you know, you opted to do this instead of that? Is you start reporting back on the small changes, on the things that are in people's personal lives, when it comes to doing the bigger stuff, it's going to be a lot more successful and people are going to be willing to engage and talk about it and share in the process. And I, th- I think that's what it comes down to. We're dealing with people. This is taken to heart. People are generally with us. You know, even if they come up with some kind of obstinate thing about why they don't like the change, actually, that doesn't make them wrong or outside or not with us. Actually, they're having a, a legitimate reaction. And so we, we let, let's take that into account and, uh, yeah, provide listening and look at the feedback loops that we've got in place. Brilliant. Lee, thank you so much for today. We are out of time because my children have arrived home. So um, at that point, I think we best uh, call it a day. And uh, I will apologize once more for putting my Christmas decorations up in November. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry at the same time. Um, You know what, this is going to be a great social media poll. I think we need to put this out Twitter, Instagram, or wherever it is, you know, uh, uh, for us, Chris, are your Christmas decorations up? Let's take a let's take a test on where our listeners are at. Uh, with uh, Christmas decorations before December the 1st or after. I and we'll see yeah. where we go. Okay, well, we'll put that one out and we'll, uh, we'll see what results we get. Lee, thank you so much uh, for your time Cheers. today. I'll catch you again next week. Awesome. Thank you very much. Bye. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. And don't forget that you can send in your thoughts, comments, uh, discussions for whatever we've talked about. Uh, Just drop us an email, podcast at thinking.church. And we'd love to be able to read it out on the show. Uh, We'll be back with another podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, We will see you soon. Bye for now.